Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, everybody. It's your favorite bruiser, Holden McNeely, and I seem to be trapped in my own podcast where everything I talk about in my podcast comes to life. Oh, my goodness. Is that a cave behind my house? I guess I'd better explore it. And I am your Finnish video game developer who enjoys the beautiful sights of Helsinki and eating such delicious things as uh, brown bread and several dozen earrings for dinner. (laughs) Hold on, let me get my Nokia phone while I play some Angry Birds from Rovio Entertainment. I am from Finland. Very weird way to start this episode about Alan Wake, but that is what the franchise is. Very, very weird. And we are very, here, very Finnish. <laughs> yes, incredibly Finnish. We're going to tell the story of Remedy uh, Entertainment. We're going to tell the story of Alan Wake. We're even going to tell the story of Control and talk about Quantum Break. And I super meant for that to be a um, poem. Are we going to have to talk about Quantum Break? We're going to talk about it as briefly as humanly possible, but we hey, definitely Holden, need to talk you what, about it. How about um, while we talk about Quantum Break, we take we stop every 15 minutes and show a bullshit <laughs> half hour TV show uh, completely produced and written by people that aren't responsible for the game. And force you to just sit there and watch that as the podcast yes, goes. Yes, it is such a weird, I would say, misstep. It was interesting when we did our Sunday study session, there were people who seemed to actually enjoy Quantum Break. I had known it as this thing that was uh, this grand experiment, a precursor to what they dialed in for control to kind of bring everything Remedy had been working towards together to create this my favorite game of the year, tied with Sekiro, uh, from last year, but I, I, which is why I'm so excited. It is like under the guise of an Alan Wake episode, I get to gush about Control and talk about that game as well and what went into the making of that game. It's a whole thing, but it all ties together. And Remedy has created a really interesting universe with Control and Alan Wake, especially. And I'm ex- so excited to talk about this, all of this stuff. I, what's interesting too about this, I forgot to talk to you about this before we jumped into the episode. I don't. Want want to be a negative Nancy Jake but I did play through all of the base game of Alan Wake over the past few days and mm-hmm. I will say I think that it is like this really interesting thing Hold I think in, the please do really not start shitting on the game that we're dedicating this episode to <laughs> within know, the first five minutes on it. 
I'm not going to shit it on it. It feels I okay. I know you're not shitting on it, but I see you taking your pants down and I see you <laughs> squatting. <laughs> it is of its time. And I think that Remedy has done a lot of work to improve on their approach to gameplay, their approach to even environments and things like that, that we that I think that they've really mastered in certain ways with control. So I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I think Alan Wake is this fucking amazing game during my gush. But what I am going to say is that it's very impressive. It's it is actually still as much as there were moments where I was yelling at the screen and like criticizing the fuck out of the game out of the game um, in my own personal moments. Again, uh, you're not shitting. You're just like I'm not shitting. I can I mean, see I'll, your asshole dilating. <laughs> I'm just going to say maybe some of the uh, encounters were fucking annoying, but you know what I mean? It's fine. Okay. You've got to use the flares, Holden. They give you the flares for a reason. (laughs) Uh, But it still was a game that I was like happily playing all the way through Mm -hmm. um, this over this past few days, which is a testament to it being a game that is still quite well made, even though it is, I think, a bit dated in terms of certain things. I think that they, they, and I think Remedy themselves, as well as video games as a whole, really dialed in a lot of the things that they introduced in this game uh, in the years since. But it still is so important historically, I think, to talk about this franchise. Did you get a chance to crack into American Nightmare? You, I watched you crack into it during our study session. Well, but yes, I obviously, every week, if you're a member of the $15 Patreon tier, we have weekly streams where we play games, watch movies, and study for upcoming topics. It's very easy. Just go to patreon.com slash and you can take part in it. So I saw you just demonstrated the gameplay, and then I went and just read the whole plot synopsis. I know what happens in American Nightmare, but you even said that you felt like that was a better game and that they did actually, even in that game, dial it in a little bit better. From a pure mechanic standpoint, because yeah. the one of the main things that Remedy does so amazingly is just nailing single player first person action to su- like the same way how like we talked about Bungie just like perfected first person console shooters. It seems like Remedy has just nailed cinematic third-person action with Max Payne uh, doing the bullet time effect, Alan Mm -hmm. Wake doing the light uh, mechanic, and then, uh, you know, Quantum Break doing time, Control doing psychic powers, all these amazing, like, twists to keep it engaging. The gunplay, the flashlight gun uh, horde management that, uh, that kind of epitomizes Alan Wake's gameplay. Uh, is so just engaging and fun in American mm-hmm. Nightmare. It's like the best version of OG Alan Wake games. Uh, it's the best version of OG Alan Wake encounters, just one after the other after the other. I really liked it. Um, So the thing is, guns, man. It's just like, it's just you're a, like, you look at Remedy Software and they've just been this weird underdog with like all of these like hits and misses and... Alan Wake, yes, was a weird, like, sales disappointment. It's showing its age a little, but it kind of got its own, like, rebirth in -hmm. the age of the, uh, you know, humble indie bundle and the Steam sale and all of these, like, the the birth of the $10 discount PC game to the point where, like, yeah, paying, yeah, maybe playing $60, expecting the next Max Payne game or expecting, like, something as good as Resident Evil 7 you might be a little bit disappointed, but 
for that $10, it's like such a slick, like lovingly produced thing. Yes. That it really did affect me. It really, like those fans are out there and they are real. And the game has had such a weird long tail for the past 10 years because it's always been in the perennial, like PC classics bin. Sure. And I will also say you spoke towards gameplay innovations, but I will also give them their due in terms of pushing the limits of storytelling in game and especially towards a episodic uh, TV show feel along with the game feel to to a many would argue a fault in Quantum Break. But then they pull it all together in control and make this seamless narrative happen in control. And I would say also in a lot of Alan Wake, you have this really awesome combo of, man, I feel like I'm in a TV show. I'm playing a TV show. Uh, it you know it, part of that of is because game. half of the indoor sets just look like they were ripped directly from Twin Peaks. Dude, this <laughs> might as well be. This is a game that is so the sum of its influences. It's it'll make your head spin when we get to the influences part. You could almost we Jake. I feel like we could play a game where we just try to guess, try to name as many references and go back and forth until we're finally stumped. And it would be like it would last a long time. There's especially with Twin Peaks. There's so many Twin Peaks references. To the point where I even at one point you go to the uh, police building and I walked into the boardroom of Mm -hmm. Twin Peaks and I was like, this is cool. Like I'm in the Twin Peaks boardroom right now. I know it's Bright Falls or whatever, but it is just so (laughs) clearly Twin Peaks in so many ways. Also, Stephen King. I mean, it wears its influences right there on its sleeve. But I would also say now it's like this super regular, you know, thing to make Twin Peaks references in your video game. But I don't think that was the case back when Alan Wake was made. I think that was a bit of an innovation as well. It was, I think, you know, it was kind of at the dawn of Netflix streaming and, you know, years before there was even a glimmer of the third season coming out. This was like people who were in the know were like, oh, I know like exactly that we're just in the Twin Peaks Sheriff office right now. Yeah, yeah, completely. And also just please, if you'd like to, we're not going to be able to talk about we're going to call out a lot of references from Twin Peaks, but I would just say go listen to our two-parter on Twin Peaks if you really want to know more about that. I'm not going to break that show down for you because it's all in that episode. And if the if you're listening to this in the year 2021, maybe, or something like that, also go listen to our Stephen King episode by that point because we haven't done it yet. But, man, I mean... Again, just so many references to the works of Stephen King and so many. Literally, the first spoken words in the game Alan Wake are is just the name Stephen King. (laughs) Yes, they are not shy about it. Takes place in a small town in the Northeast, just like most of Stephen King. No, they switched coasts. It's the Northwest, not the Northeast. But it's still like a harbor. It's like a harbor town that you would feel that is very much feels like the setting of many Stephen King novels, and also uh, just the whole premise of an author whose works are coming to life and that sort of thing is very Stephen Kingy. We should give a synopsis because we've made it 10 minutes in the episode and so anybody who has no idea what the fuck this is should probably get a synopsis. Technically, this is the time we do it well into the episode. Here we go. Alan Wake is an action-adventure game developed by Remedy Entertainment and published by Microsoft Studios for the Xbox 360 and Microsoft Windows. The story follows best-selling thriller novelist Alan Wake as he tries to uncover the mystery behind his wife's disappearance during a vacation in the small fictional town of Bright Falls, Washington, all while experiencing events from the plot in his latest novel, which he cannot remember writing, coming to life. 
Bum, it's bum, also, bum. did I mention too, it is also like straight up framed like a TV show to the point where you have a previously on segment right before you, you go back into the next episode of the game and you have like a big wrap up with credits at the end of each episode, which is essentially like each like chapter of the game. And uh, just that that framing a device in general, it just and they use a bunch of licensed music, which we will talk about at some point in this episode, which, again, just gives it that feeling like it's a prestige TV show vibe, especially at the time, you know, Lost was big at this time, things of that nature. And it really goes for that really swings for the fences in that way. So uh, also should get that across as well before we get into it. The origin of Remedy. Shall we start there, Jake Young? Cast your mind back to the harsh and winterly climate of Finland. You, the, the smell of sautéed reindeer is in the air. You are chomping on a cinnamon roll, and your lovely mother has sat you down for your yearly sip of schnapps. Jake wanted to do a Finnish accent for the entirety of this episode. I refused. Um, what was the name of your character again, Jake? Uh... Grill Makara, Grilly Makara. <laughs> Grilly Makara, oh my god. <laughs> Grilly Makara, I worked on the sound design. What is your favorite uh, food to eat in Finland, uh, Grilly? Uh, that would be Kalakuko, which is a traditional <laughs> food of the Finnish region of Savonia. Uh, here's the catch, it's several hundred sardines baked in a just a pile of bread. Really, that's fucking disgusting. You the, you don't take out the bones. The bones give it texture. No, wait. I'm sorry. I got that wrong. Texture. <laughs> texture. Yeah, tax. That's how you have to say it. Texture. Texture. Either way, I refuse to let you do that for the entirety of this episode, Jake. Try and be... stop me. We're recording oh, remote. Sound like a Dracula. All right. The company Remedy Entertainment was founded by several members of the of demo scene groups that were creating demos for PCs back in the mid 90s. Of course, in Finland, as we already uh, clearly have uh, noted at this point. All right, you got to uh, understand it's it's Europe. OK, they don't got the Nintendos. They don't got the Segas. Uh, the eight the bit home computer revolution is what took over. Anytime we talk about uh yeah, we talk about developers who started in the 80s and 90s. It's the people that just got a computer early and had nothing else to do. And, you know, you got those harsh, long winters. You know, you got uh, not enough uh, sunlight. Your bones are brittle from, uh, you know, rickets. So basically all you have all day is just sitting indoors playing with your family PC. And at this point, uh, the scene had kind of advanced to uh, we're now at the age of like, the 46 processors were at the Amiga and the Atari ST. And all of these individual hackers and tinkerers are all competing with each other to kind of just do these demos, which is honestly one of the most obscure art forms I, I could ever think of. For sure. I love this description from Remedy's senior narrative designer, Gregor Luden. It's just row after row of everyone playing different music and everyone's hacking and everyone's just modding. It's ridiculous. And one group in particular was named Future Crew, and it held the key members that would become the heads of Remedy Entertainment. It was a demo group active from 1987 to 1994, founded by PSI, is the uh, was the handle, but it was Sammy Tamaletto, and JPM, uh, which was Jussie Marcula's uh 
alias. And initially they were working on the Commodore 64 before eventually moving to the PC with their hack hackings. Their demo Second Reality, released in 1993, was considered one of the most influential PC demos ever made. We watched it again, to mention it again the during the summer study session, Jake. What 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 was your can you describe what that was? So the thing about Second Reality is that this was considered magic. The, uh, you know, it won all these awards within the demo scene competitions and people would literally stand slack jawed at like what they were able to do with such limited hardware capabilities. We're talking uh, just like uh, if you haven't seen a demo, uh, it's usually a pounding techno soundtrack with a series of individual vignettes demonstrating different graphics, rendering techniques or unique visuals playing over the soundtrack. Uh, one of the things is like this bouncing polyhedron that then has like a little poly polygonal shape inside of it bouncing around. So like they're showcasing how you can do real time mesh deformation, which is the kind of shit that in like modern, I don't think modern video game consoles could do until like the Dreamcast, which didn't come out till like eight years after this came out. And they were doing it on a shitty little like PC, uh, different things like voxel rendering to do landscapes and mountains, you know, the kind of technology that was in Minecraft that you weren't able to do. Fully real-time rendered cutscenes of, like, spaceships and future cities all kind of bouncing around, just one after the other after the other. And these were things that, you know, think about DOS gaming at the time. You know, we could barely do stuff like, you know, uh, Monkey Island at this point, and they were just... I'm sorry, at this point, I think we were at, like, Sam and Max. Don't yell at me. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, Yell you know, at them, guys. <laughs> up until the point where the source code was finally revealed, people were like trying to figure out how such a weird group of finished, like <laughs> just a bunch of like finished nerds could do the impossible with this technology. And mm -hmm. um, obviously a lot of it involved writing directly in assembly language to pull off these various tools. And uh, the fact is, is that the whole demo was broken down into 23 separate parts so that it could be worked on individually by members who, like, just knew how to do this one cool thing and refine that without breaking it for anything else. So that thing is a big hit. And at the same time, they're looking around and they're seeing a couple of Finnish video game developers arising with uh, Bloodhouse and Terra Mark uh, were the initial ones. And they say, hey, those guys are doing it. Let's we should do it. All right. First of all, was it Bloodhouse and Terramark? Bloodhouse is one and Terramark is the other. One of the games that like influenced them, who were like other Finnish demo scene people that like decided to start publishing games for themselves and started making money, their games were some of the weirdest stuff ever released on the PC. If you ever are bored, look up Elf Mania, <laughs> which is a fantasy Street Fighter 2 knockoff starring a bunch of like <laughs> lumpy troll people. And it is one of the jankiest, like upsetting things you could ever look at in full 16 bit color. So, yeah, basically they saw other people in their scene that they themselves like knew they were better than and were just like, yeah, why don't we fucking do this? Because we right. know we're better than these guys. So the founding members were Samuli Sva. I'm gonna I'm gonna mispronounce the fuck out of these names, guys. Mm -hmm. Just bear with me. Samuli Savalhuoko, Marcus Maki, Sammy Nopanen, John Kavalev, and Sammy Van Hatal. And most of them were in their early twenties. They created the first game in Samuli Savalhuoko's uh, parents. 
basement. And it was a racing game, first known as High Speed, but from the advice of, and here's where Apogee Software founder Scott Miller comes in, because he is going to publish their games via Apogee. We talk a ton about Apogee Software in our uh, id software, or rather Doom episodes. Mm -hmm. So uh, to learn more about Apogee, essentially Apogee Software was was this early ass version of distributing computer games in which you could send in a, you would get a demo of the game and then you could send in uh, a check to this guy and he would give you a code to unlock the whole game. The the shareware model that we're all familiar with. Yes. The shareware model. So either way, but he, on his advice, he said, hey, make it a vehicular combat situation as opposed to just a racing game. So they end up changing the name to Death Rally. Uh, to the point. So at this early stage, these are just a bunch of Finnish nerds who are able to get a meeting with like the king of PC shareware at the time. And the first thing this guy does when he's talking to him is like, all right, number one, add guns. Number two, call it Death Rally. And like uh, in I in the complex documentary Magnum Opus uh, Remedy Entertainment, Marcus Mackey actually says that like this was a very important meeting for them because you know he basically got schooled by this rich American guy about like stop making games for nerds you got to make games that are sexy you got to make games that are violent <laughs> you got to make games that'll sell. The quote I have is uh, those 3D Realms guys. 3D Realms is the same development studio that made uh, Duke Nukem 3D, and they were the in-house studio for Apogee. Those 3D Realms guys really taught us a lot about how to think about entertainment. I've yeah. never forgotten that I think every game needs to have a little bit of Texas in it. Apogee was based out of Texas. <laughs> yes, yes. Also, big turning point here. They need dialogue for the game, so they end up via a, fr- a mutual friend of one of the guys. Uh, they hit up this guy named Sam Lake. First uh, birth name, by the way, is Sammy Antero Jeremy. There's a lot of Sammies in Finland, apparently. Uh, But either way, Sam Lake was studying English literature at Helsinki University of Technology at the time. They asked him to step in and help out with that. Sam Lake said, we were just making it up as we went. And he barely felt he barely felt like Remedy was even a company at that point when they were making this game in the basement. So the game gets published by Apogee Software. It is distributed by GT Interactive in 1996, and it is moderately successful. Successful enough for them to, I'm assuming because I don't hear anything else about the basement, to move into their own office space and continue to develop games full time. And their next game is going to end up being a bit of a hit with Max Payne. Now, Jake, did you, I I remember Max Payne because my roommate had it in freshman year of college. And it was a pretty big deal because A, Matrix, Bullet Time, super cool. That game did it. And it was one of the only games at the time that was doing it. But also it did have this really dark storyline. And it was this bit of a bit of an innovator when it came to a third person shooter with with cinematic story elements. So uh, did you did you play Max Payne? I played the shit out of Max okay, Payne. Cool. <laughs> I awesome. loved it. Um, so the story with Max Payne is uh, after Death Rally, they had a few ideas for what to do next. Uh, the you know they still kind of had that demo scene. Uh, what's the word? Uh, attitude, uh, philosophy yeah. going Think on. Tank. And so they were working on different kind of demos. One was a straight up racing sequel. Yep. Uh, one was a uh, space flight simulation. Yeah, kind of like Descent Free Space. 
And the other was this isometric 3D future punk kind of, uh, you know, 360 shooter. And once again, it was up to the guys at Apogee and uh, specifically Scott Miller, who was like, uh, number one, make it 3D. Number two, don't call it what they originally wanted to call it, which was Dark Justice. Dark Justice. You Listen, <laughs> he basically just was like, we made Duke Nukem and we yeah. made a billion dollars. Make your own Duke Nukem. Yeah. And so they immediately shifted to this single player focused, highly character driven 3D shooter. Uh, and they at, at this point, they hadn't settled on a name yet. At one point, they were going for Max Heat. I think was one of the names. At one point it was going to be Dick Justice. Uh, which is hilarious because <laughs> in Max Payne 2, I think they used an in-game like black exploitation series called Dick Justice as well. Nice. So they just started like working from there and trying to build a 3D engine. And uh, immediately with the help of Sam Lake, who interesting guy, like mate. One of the biggest creative drivers for a lot of Remedy Software's uh, games uh, was working on his own noir-style game uh, tabletop campaign. In fact, it was the reason he was brought in by, I believe, Petri Yarvaleto. Yes, who ended up being the lead designer of the game, and he was the one who wanted to incorporate the bullet time and slow motion and stuff. He was a fan of Hong Kong action films. Right. Uh, this was in parallel to The Matrix, so it was like the right place, right time. Yeah. All the various nerds that were watching, uh, <laughs> uh, watching Hong Kong action movies at the time, hard-boiled, uh, all kind of <laughs> came through at the same time. For sure. Um, was in the same tabletop gaming group as Sam Lake and was like kind of like he was the one that was like, you speak English. You have this background of like fantasy and genre like, you know, come help us out. And so Sam was the one who kind of pushed for this hard boiled war on drugs, noir detective kind of uh, focus and very quickly kind of abandoned whatever cyberpunky future ideas that had been brewing at the time mm -hmm. they ended up uh, traveling to new york city to, to photograph environments for the game to get that gritty feel that gritty look and they uh the game is released in july of 2001 after two delays to great critical acclaim and it was noted for a focus on story and atmosphere which was rare for action games at the time and that's really going to be their track record moving forward as well they the thing about uh max Payne was that they made what was pretty much a hit AAA game with an incredibly small team uh, outside of any of the major like development hubs. Um, a lot of the things that the game is like kind of um, noted for were just like kind of shortcuts that the team had to work around because of their limited scope. Stuff like uh, the graphic novel style cutscenes were just because they didn't have the time or the manpower to do cool pre-rendered movies. Even the the game's look is famously the face of Max Payne is just a photo of the writer Sam Lake with a squinched yes. up little like pissy face. Yes. And the use of photographs as textures was one of the game's like big landmark technical achievements. And really, it was just the fact that they didn't have time to hand paint every single surface and they thought they could save time that way. Right, right. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, 
no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. So Apogee outsourced the development of the console versions of Max Payne to Rockstar Games, which is how they end up getting in connection to them. The parent company, Take-Two Interactive, spends $10 million to purchase the intellectual property rights of the franchise, with part of the agreement being that Remedy would develop the sequel. So for the sequel, Sam Lake, he went to the Theater Academy of Finland to study screenwriting in order to write a more ambitious story, and I think also just helps with all of his work moving forward to give it that cinematic feel, that television episode feel. I mean, and his so final assignment was a screenplay that he claims he blatantly stole giant chunks of for the plot of Alan Wake. So the the script, the script for Max Payne two. Uh, had more than 600 pages, which was five times that of the original. He's clearly like up, upping his chops as a writer in games. The game is released in 2003 to critical acclaim, but poor sales. And then, of course, Rockstar, uh, or I'm sorry, Max Payne 3 was completely made by Rockstar and was also pretty fun. I enjoyed that game. But either way, let's get into it. Finally, almost a half an hour to the episode, let's talk about Alan Wake. Uh, Previously he- on Alan Wake, the <laughs> podcast episode. Hello, I'm doing a Finnish voice. (laughs) You can't do that voice for the whole episode, Jake. Max Payne was a series with cool gunplay and using bullet time as a resource rather than a special effect was innovative. (laughs) So, so growing up, Sam Lake, I love this, by the way. He's going to explore some things, Jake. He's going to be very exploratory as a child, if you know what I mean, if you catch my drift. Sam Lake would spend summer holidays on an apple farm in the south of Finland and... There were many caves there. One day while exploring the rundown buildings behind his house. Isn't that interesting? They were behind his house. He found a bunch of junk, including a light switch that he called his clicker. Lake said, to me, stuff like that always felt particularly mysterious and magical. I love old rusted machine parts that you can't quite figure out. Old telephones and radios. This is, of course, the inspiration for Alan Wake's flashlight and specifically that clicker that he fi- he ends up getting a hold of near the end of the base game. Lake said, in Alan Wake's world, the monsters that your imagination conjures up in the dark come true, but they are, also, they are still destroyed when the lights are turned on. Darkness equals madness and terror. Nightmares and death. Light equals sanity and safety. So initially, they want to explore a sandbox game with an open world, but... Due to their limited resources, they were unable to get this done and had a to refocus on a linear experience. But yeah, this also like works for them in this weird way. So in um, there's a GDC talk from 2010 called Alan Wake Light and Dark by head art director of Remedy, Saku Lettinen. Uh, and he basically uh, kind of says that, you know, we get we got dinged a lot for a really long development time. But part of it is, is that they had just started with a team of 30 people 
on what was basically the cusp of the HD era of video games and announced Alan Wake as their next project way before they had anything down. So like you don't like bigger companies don't announce their pre-production projects until they have something better to show. But they had to work on a proprietary engine, which uh, was a massive undertaking. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they were switching from global illumination to a dynamic lighting system, which is super key for how the entire game works, where you're working with flashlights and spotlights. Yeah, exactly. Especially when your whole basis of your game is light. <laughs> like, that's the main theme, for sure. They were dinged super hard uh, because the original Max Payne ports were, especially for PlayStation 2, were dog shit and had horrible loading times and a giant downgrade in visuals and texture quality. So they were like, we got to build something from the ground up that has all these neat lighting effects, but is managed ever so precisely so we can uh, port to consoles easily. And, uh, you know, the winds were kind of blowing where stuff like GTA had come out and Max Payne was such a narrow kind of hallway shooter that they wanted to play in that open world playground. So they basically built all these cutting edge um Graphics engine. They built a cutting edge graphics engine called the Northlight yeah. engine, which yes. is still in use all the way through Quantum Break and Control. They basically built a ten by ten kilometer Pacific Northwest town, uh, which I, I'm sure you have notes on it as well. But like, they took like sixty thousand photographs. They hired like n- naturalists to go out into the woods and record authentic bird noises. Mm-hmm. They basically created this giant open world with this unique lighting system with a unique environment system and what the but the gameplay loop wasn't there yet what they had settled on was this kind of day night cycle kind of like uh Minecraft or and the uh early right. version of Fortnite Save the World where during the daytime there wouldn't be any monsters you're gathering supplies you're just trying to get your shit together you're just together. running around yeah finding bullets and and then and then the nighttime the monsters would come out but the problem was for them they realized in the horror genre it is so hard to actually be a scary thing actually be able to manipulate the player the way they want to with an open world the uh, head of franchise development Oscari Hakkinen said had this to say a thriller is very much like a roller coaster. You need those buildups to make the plunges feel all the more exhilarating. We just weren't getting this in a sandbox design because all the gameistic things you need were detracting from the story being the focal point. But the thing is, what was cool was they did have this big world that they built. And because of that, they could play with it while still putting the game on rails. Hakenen also said... Because the environments were naturally much larger, we could make references to things that could be seen in the distance and so foreshadow events. We could create landmarks so the player always had a sense of direction. Having flexibility within the environments also gave us the opportunity to make uh, any given path as wide or as narrow as we pleased. It allowed us to play around with gameplay, narrow stealth areas like when the cops are chasing Wake, and wider areas to allow exploration and that sense of, oh shit, I'm lost, what's in the woods? So yeah, it resulted in a much better game and it removed the linear feeling on the whole. And honestly, you see that innovation even in the most recent big AAA horror game with Last of Us 2, where they're constantly starting a mission out with like, we got to get from here 
all the way to that big landmark way in the distance over there. And it gives that player that sense of like, oh my God, I've got to get all the way from here to there. That's so far away. I can't even believe I can, I'm going to like actually make it to that, that spot. There was even a moment where I found like a watchtower like a little, just a wooden plank that I walked up on, and then it, it had that focus prompt, mm -hmm. and I held down the focus button, and it panned out to this giant, giant shot of, like, way wide shot of the, the mountain with the snowy pe peak up at the top of it, and you get this sense of awe that I feel like was not a thing being done very much at all back then, especially, that is now used so much in video games. I think the combination of that open world, spatial awareness mixed with or that that feeling of a wide space uh, connected to a horror game that's very much linear and, and on a sense on a bit of rails they found this like nice little balance in between the two that I think makes the game work so well one of the things that makes this game so unique is the fact that Every level is built from just a cutout chunk of this very continuous open world. Plus, they added that uh, manuscript and the thermos collectibles. So you are rewarded for exploring and you find all these like little areas that were clearly built to be like landmarks in a open world game. But you get to yeah. just kind of explore them and get a sense of this fully realized world, even though you're contained in this level structure. There's a few uh, the driving sequences are kind of amazing because you're kind of on foot. You're going from area to area, and then once in a while, they'll give you a car, and you actually get to, like, drive and see how all these little areas were actually a continuous whole. Yeah. And it's super exhilarating. Which is cool. I will also say, though, that this wasn't a seamless transition. This was a nightmare for them. And, when, and Jake mentioned a long pre-production period, or production period in general. The pre-production period alone was three years, and it was largely because they had to have, essentially an emergency meeting at one point and completely redo everything. Lake said, we stepped into a room, closed the door, and the mandate was, let's figure out everything. We stayed in that room with all the heat and pressure on us. The room started to look like a mad scientist lab. We were taping papers all over the walls. Lake also spoke of the plot being a metaphor for what the whole team was going through in order to find the story in the game is as the game goes on as wakes things are coming to life he's constantly looking for the next story beat and that was essentially them just flailing all over the place also to go back jake to finding the thermoses and the uh, pages of his novel the thermoses i feel like in hindsight's kind of dumb but the uh, the pages was really cool and innovative and this really cool way to build out the lore. And they, of course, use that, I think, in an even stronger fashion in control. But oh, I think that's a great thing to do is to put in. I mean, you know, this isn't like new necessarily, but still a really, really smart way to, it ties, to combine. It definitely it really uh, elegantly ties the urge to explore your surroundings with the urge to learn more about the universe of the game. Yes, it like completely cool. completes that loop. So, yeah, you're like wandering into a back area that wasn't meant to be like a stage for combat or a dialogue cutscene, but you still like want to know more. So you get a little page where you get to know more. So you met this is uh, the group you're talking about where they lock themselves in the little mad scientist cabin and actually hacked out how this game is actually going to work after building this 10 square kilometer Pacific Northwest town. Uh, they called themselves the sauna group, again, because of the heat and the pressure. And a lot of things were actually kind of like uh, things like the main villains who are known as the Taken. 
which in the final game are these uh, basically various carpenters, firemen, mechanics, just I, I, as a soft creative from the big city, I associate this with Alan Wake's fear of blue collar workers. The idea that (laughs) anyone, if you're like outside the city, anyone with a real job would just chop you in the face with an ax if they learned how you make your living. (laughs) But they're based on kind of a, uh, I know what you did last summer, man in the woods, leather face kind of slasher villain. Yeah. Uh, originally, the villains were supposed to be characters known as the Shades, who were like hooded cultist robed figures mm. uh, in a, um, again, in the same talk uh, from GDC from my my dear friend, my just my dear good friend, Saku. Uh, he talked about how like the robes were going to be the key to their power sets. And you could tell like who were long distance attackers and who were short distance attackers based on uh, how long their robes were. Uh, the Taken then kind of um, were brought in and the idea of the darkness was integrated. So the idea that uh, this inky shadow that covered them uh, that had to be burned away by a flashlight, all kind of like built into one another, just kind of taking the parts that they had, such as the lighting system and the forest setting. and It's also so Twin Peaks. And the blue collar thing is so Twin Peaks that these everyday individuals could be taken over by some horrendous, uh, mysterious evil. And and it would drive them to become murderers. I mean, it's so, so Twin Peaks. Uh, while playing Alan Wake, uh, there's an option it's, if you download it over Steam where you can get video commentary as you play. And um, one of the developers like pops his head open in a little corner and like just drops usually not very useful info. A lot of it would just be like <laughs> the idea for this setting would be that we took to Pacific Northwest and that's why there's trees like, <laughs> like kind of like, OK, right. but uh, one kind of. Um, uh, one segment was kind of interesting where after a big Taken fight, they were like, we initially had various enemy types that used guns and it was supposed to be kind of a third person, you know, shooter kind of idea. But it felt wrong for this primordial ancient dark spirit to be fully adept at Beretta use. So uh, <laughs> we stuck to melee items because it feels more primal, more savage. And like, I was like, yeah, it makes sense. Um, it's a, it was having Alan Wake as a main character was, even though it is just another, uh, angry guy with brown hair and a gun in a third, per, you know, in an action video game in the 2000s, uh, you know, he's wearing a tweed jacket. He's like a writer. He doesn't have like cool machine guns like, uh, Max Payne did. He has like a six shooter and a flashlight. Like, well, he was, he was intended to be the opposite of Max Payne by Sam Lake. Lake said, I wanted to find a natural storyteller who could tell his own story. And that made me think about a writer, which is not at all a thing that writers do all the time and is way overdone. But either way, early drafts had Wake in more of a victim role, but Lake eventually turned him into, quote, a bit of a rock star with a temper and some attitude with clear flaws. And they hired actor uh, Ilka Vili, a Finnish actor who played the character during live action sequences, as well as the model motion capture and facial expression capture for Wake. One of the things that was, I will say, I think I think one of the more dated elements of the game was in their attempt to make it scarier by having this guy who didn't have a lot of stamina, who wasn't like this badass, muscular, you know, protagonist. 
it did get frustrating after a while because I'm like, God, he's just so lumbering. Like, catch your breath, dude. Like, oh, he on. cannot run for like five. You cannot <laughs> sprint maddening. for more than five seconds. I kind of like that, though. Like, OK, so by the end, the between the dodge mechanic, the flashlight mechanic where you have to burn away the dark shield over every bad guy to the use of the flares and the flashbangs. Uh, when you're in the zone, you don't really feel like a cool badass just like laying waste. You feel like you're surviving on the edge of your wits. And in that way, Alan Wake, as the lumpy city writer guy, uh, you know, just like barely dodging axe attacks and like mm -hmm. furiously loading batteries into his uh, flashlight. It does. You feel like, yeah, you feel like you're just like barely getting by while still like surviving. I don't know. I kind of liked it. There were also there were also a couple of hilarious moments where there's no music, no enemies, nothing. But you just so you're just running. So I'm just like all I can hear is just the heavy breathing of Alan Wake. I'm like, this is a little <laughs> awkward. But either way, but it, it, it was still uh, I, I agree to a certain level for sure, uh, Jake. I mean, it did stay true to what it was. Going back to the influences that we've already talked about, in terms of Stephen King, a couple of things. They do the shining axe through the door moment, which is actually in, and, and, uh, and the hedge maze, which are both actually Kubrick shining things, not Stephen King shining things, which is hilarious because Stephen King famously like hates that movie. But either way, um, they also had a car that resembles the titular car in King's novel, Christine, that you can find as a little Easter egg. Twin Peaks, I can't, it's ridiculous. They talk about how great the coffee is. The local diner and the diner waitress are very similar to the one in Twin Peaks. The place is called Bright Falls. The sheriff's secretary character was so similar to the one in Twin Peaks that I had to actually look it up and make sure it wasn't Kimmy Robertson herself voicing the role. Uh, just like, honestly, you could just go on and on. Like it is, Twin Peaks is just so up in this game. It is fucking ridiculous. Uh, other influences, uh, again, listed by uh, Saku during the GDC talk was uh, the Christopher Nolan movie Insomnia or probably mm -hmm. the original Insomnia, which was Stephen King, I believe the uh, Wicker Man. The idea that this idyllic town has a dark secret that nobody's like kind of letting loose. Rambo, just a guy alone in the woods with a gun. <laughs> and even just uh, he keeps using the word atavistic, the idea that they're just tapping into like primal fears the idea of this you know your lone flashlight in a dark forest being able to banish away evil even like mythology stuff you know the core of the events in um alan wake take place in your cabin known as the bird's leg cabin which uh if you're familiar with mythology the baba yaga the primordial mm. dark witch lives on a house that stands on two chicken legs like it's all it kind of it, it brings in all of these primordial things and creates something new. It's it's kind of amazing. There's also uh, other authors, Brett Easton Ellis, who is mentioned in the game, is uh, a big influence. Who wrote American Psycho, among other things. Neil Gaiman, who deals with that situation of everyday life and then this like dipping into this supernatural world, getting ripped out of it. Another big one was Mark Z. Danielewski's House of Leaves, which is a bizarre novel about a house that is impossibly larger on the inside than the outside that forces the reader at times to rotate the book or read it in a mirror. It has footnotes on footnotes on footnotes, all these strange devices. It's always trying to mess with you, mess with your psyche, get in there, um, which is definitely what the game's attempting to do. Lake said about House of Leaves, 
It's one story, but it's many stories at the same time. While those different stories come in different forms and styles, the book still manages to feel like one whole. That's how I see a game. A game is a large entity, and you can fit many things inside it. Manuscript pages, radio shows, TV shows, fictional bands and their music, and so on. And they all mirror each other and the main plot and form one whole. And speaking towards that, you've got Night Springs, the game's in-game uh, in version of Twilight Zone, which happens on televisions where you can literally just stop and watch a mini episode of a TV show while you're like in the dead middle of, of uh, playing a video game where you're like in the middle of all this action and stuff. There are also, of course, uh, Hitchcock's The Birds is a big influence with that, that bird enemy that attacks the protagonist in a very similar fashion. They, uh, yeah, so... Oh, uh, yeah. another cool thing uh, that I... Just wanted to, I, I'd kick myself if I didn't mention the, uh, the Taken, the main bad enemy type, kind of in the same way that they took bullet time in movies and turned it into a gameplay mechanic. The Taken kind of move through the shadows and can like appear from anywhere and are often introduced like kind of directly behind you in, in very cinematic ways was, um, their way of kind of translating the ever present like, movie slasher as an enemy mm. type they kind of took that film uh language and translated it into a video game mechanic in a way that is very uh interesting and th the same way that uh in dead space they kind of turned the zombie on its head by making the limbs the actual target instead of the heads like it was a very unique take on the spooky thing that wants to rip your guts out jake what do you think about barry uh as a loudmouth. <laughs> A uh, coded Jewish fat guy. I do not like Barry, but I'm glad he's there. <laughs> he, I love that they said they love Barry. I think a little too much. They had a saying around the office that's, that was adding him to any scene made made it better, which I don't know I would agree with. He's a bit hammy. He's a bit ridiculous. But I will say he does speak towards one thing I did appreciate about the game, that it wasn't afraid to be funny. And again, and I think that control is also like that. And another thing I appreciate about control, I would like laugh. Sometimes even out loud at some of the choices they made in a game that was mostly like supposed trying to give you the feeling of terror and stress and those sorts of things. But they were never afraid to have levity. You also have those like old dudes, those old rocker dudes. Oh, the gods, elder go gods the elder of the God, old which, Asgard, whatever they're which, called. Which are, yeah, which is a fake band that was the actually... Um, the, uh, the real band is, uh, which I call it, well, uh, poets of the fall. We'll talk about the music in just a second, but there was also that whole thing where you have to kill all of those taken while on stage, while Barry's like playing music on the, and the pyrotechnics and the spotlights are and going the pyrotechnics on. and stuff. Uh, I mean, in episode, it's fun. It's fun. In, in either, I forget it's episode four or five when like Barry finally like has to go out with you and like, he's gets explained how the Taken work and he immediately just like starts wearing a bunch of Christmas lights because he's like, yeah. why wouldn't I? It's like garlic. Yeah. They hate light. I'll, fucking, right, yeah, right. I'll me just wrap light. myself in it. Yeah, which was also, by the way, a really smart way to make that character really distinguishable from a distance just in gameplay sense. Yeah. Because a lot of times you're trying to catch up with them or meet back up with them. So it was a smart move and a funny choice. There was also, by the way, two DLC chapters these lead to both a satisfying conclusion while also definitely leaving the game open for a part two. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second with uh, American Nightmare or New Nightmare. Either way, American uh, Nightmare, American Nightmare. I was a miss. I'd mistyped that. But but we have a way to talk about thing, the original game. Uh, other thing about the original game. 
tons of product placement to the point of ludicrousness. Yes. Uh, you, when you're running around uh, getting supplies and ammo, you are distinctly picking up Energizer brand batteries with Energizer Ultimate Lithium giving you extra charges on your flashlight. Um, mm-hmm. Your cell phone in the original game, I think in the Steam version that I picked up, they got rid of it. But in the original Xbox version, uh, Alan Wake's phone was branded Verizon and there were Verizon billboards everywhere. Yes, like, it's absurd. It definitely takes you out of it a little bit. Uh, Sam Lake in an interview said that that was uh, Microsoft and an overeager marketing department at Remedy <laughs> arranging I'm those deals. sure that was not there idea of a good decision also speaking of microsoft they were originally working with them to do an actual episodic like release that you know that which which that business model has been used since tell telltale did it other other people and it worked out Hitman well for them did it they were worried they, they got essentially too scared they, they were already swinging for the fences in these different ways they didn't want to fuck with the model too too hard so you get that episodic vibe but it wasn't actually released in episodes yeah Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, Fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Let's talk about the music, too. So important to this game. Such a cool... And also kind of fucked them a little bit in, in, after the fact uh, with licensing. But the score was done by Petri Alonco. It consists of 18 pieces. Has a very Lost-style TV score vibe. Fully definitely orchestrated. Twin Peaks, fully orchestrated. Definitely a Twin Peaks vibe as well. The soundtrack... Features several songs by well-known recording artists, uh, and we mentioned Poets of the Fall. Poets of the Fall is a Finnish rock band. They contributed their song War, which Lake feels, quote, is a prominent part of the Alan Wake soundtrack and the theme. Also links strongly to the game's storyline. They perform two songs uh, as well, uh, Children of the Elder God and the Poet and the Muse under an in-game pseudonym that we already called out, Old Gods of Asgard. Then there's the episode ending songs. They're all done by prominent musicians. We've got Roy Orbison, Poe, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, David Bowie, Anna Turnheim, and Depeche Mode. But this was what bit them in the ass during the expiring music licenses, or due to expiring music licenses, rather. All digital and retail versions of the game were pulled from purchase from all storefronts on the 15th of May, 2017, with Remedy offering the game. I believe it was like a, the reason why I own the game actually is because of this, because they offered it for like a pittance. It was like a dollar mm-hmm. fifty, just because they were like, well, we have to pull it anyway, so fuck it, grab it while it's here. Uh, but, and, and so, Jake, I was surprised you were able to get it, 
and I didn't know this until doing the research, it was actually, this whole situation was remedied, I, uh, pun intended, wah, 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 wah. back in October 2018, when they were able to rework the licensing stuff via Microsoft, and they put the game back on Windows storefronts. So that's why you can actually still grab a copy of this game in its original form. But there you go, that's the music. But the game actually, it's released in May of 2010 as an Xbox exclusive, and it was this, but it was also uh, had a lot of competition, most specifically with a little-known game called Red Dead Redemption, which Whoops. is a bit of a rough. Uh, that, that was wait, a is it also a cinematic third-person action game? Oh man, and open world, and hour, just uh, hours and hours versus a game that honestly you can you can beat that game in ten hours pretty easily. Alan Wake that is, whereas Red Dead is like this. Just hours and hours of gameplay situations. So, uh, the headline from July 6th, 2010 from Eurogamer, Alan Wake has a U.S. sales nightmare. <laughs> so, NPD has revealed that Alan Wake sold just 145,000 units during the month of May in the U.S. Which is such a gut punch for such a long development cycle, because what was it, like five years total, something like not that? Not only that, but these are guys who, like, you know, if you're Sam Lake, if you're uh, Marco, Marky Marcos... Uh, if you're fucking Patri Yarvaleto, your <laughs> first outing was a blockbuster. You don't yeah. e- you haven't even tasted failure yet. Right. But slowly it did gain popularity. It ends up selling over one million copies worldwide. And that is attributed to word of mouth. It just took a little time and they got they got it. I mean, by the time of this recording or I mean, by the time we're talking about this, um, it's sold like Close to five million on PC alone at this point. So yeah, they ended up getting their money back, but they end up not doing a full sequel because of that initial failure in sales. Remedy intended for the sequel uh, to happen as a se- they intended the first game as a season one. The DLC was just supposed to bridge the gap to the next game, and it definitely does that at the end of the DLC. So they later end up walking this back, this sequel, saying that they had a new game, but it was not a full sequel, which would be Alan Wake's New Nightmare, which was a short standalone released in 2012 that followed Alan after the first game. And it in was this like game, a download only and then a like budget bin title. And they were able to give it that small san- sandbox feel a little bit more so, right, Jake? I mean, you speak towards this more than me because you definitely played this. So the way American Night... First of all, American Nightmare kind of ditches the... Um, spooky uh Stephen King Twin Peaks aesthetic and goes with more of a drive-in movie theater schlock B-movie aesthetic and um it's basically a series of open environments uh divided into uh individual segments where you kind of enter a time loop uh there's three main areas in the single player game and you fight this uh, now that I'm saying it out loud, also a ripoff of Twin Peaks where <laughs> Alan Wake is stuck in the evil dimension while a doppelganger of him openly taunts him in the real world, <laughs> uh, who's known as Mr. Scratch. Uh, he's introduced in the first game kind of almost as a non sequitur and in American Nightmare kind of deals more with that. He's a representation of the bad boy, uh, greedy, aggressive, selfish side of Alan. Uh, he goes to like a... Sp- 50s diner motel and like kind of explores uh that he gets taken to an observatory uh telescope area and kind of explores that and he has a giant fight at a drive-in movie theater and you're given various objectives and at the end of the loop 
you face uh, Mr. Scratch and he sends you back and you have to play through the loop again with slightly different objectives. And there's a lot of meta humor where Alan is like talking to NPCs who died. And he was like, hey, do you remember anything? And they're like, I totally died, didn't I? And he was like, yeah. He's like, can you try and make sure that doesn't happen this time? He's like, okay, but you already died twice. Like, it's a lot of fun. The uh, weapons, tons more weapons. And the getting the manuscript pages actually helps you unlock better weapons. So you're heavily incentivized to like explore the environment and get those extra pages. Way more enemy types. There's like no upgrade path in the original. Like really. None, none, none. In fact, they do a thing that actually one of my gripes about the game was they keep giving you upgrades. And then at the next chapter, you start over with nothing. And they do that so much that I'm like, stop giving me this shit and then taking it away over and over again it's frustrating as hell like i'm now i'm used to the better flashlight like stop taking it away from me but anyways i found it really engaging really enjoyable the action is tight the you know the interplay between the various guns the enemy types the flashlight yeah it's a short little thing too but it's also like what six bucks or something and it's great you should totally i'm so glad that you found it and i'm totally gonna probably follow up on that and it might as well it looked like a lot of fun and it looks a lot better than the original alan wake and as more vibrant which is again another thing i was like i get it it's light and dark but there was the environments felt a little samey in alan Wake in the original alan wake and it's very like dingy and kind of like not as fun to look at maybe as as uh, American Nightmare. So uh, check it I out. mean, I respect their fidelity to the dingy sameness of a uh, of a sure. Pacific Northwest uh, harbor town next to a forest. It's true. They stay they stick to the guns. But either way, let's talk about Quantum Break, shall we? What a weird one. This is like them going a little too far into the direction of let's make a video game that feels like a TV show. Well, it's interesting because they're still working with Microsoft. They are still Mm -hmm. licensed with Microsoft Studios. And what was Microsoft's big fucking uh, sell with the Xbox One? But we're going to be your game machine and your TV machine. It's going to be built in with the Kinect. You're going to plug it into your cable box. You're going to just spend all day yelling at your Xbox being like, stream Netflix, open HBO Go, play Gears of War 3. Like just, you know, that was their goal. It does this weird thing where you're doing the gameplay, you're playing the game, and then it, all of a sudden it's like, stop, now sit and watch a TV show, which I don't think really works in practice as much as it might sound interesting in theory as an innovation to gameplay. So I never played it, but I watched some YouTube reviews and a lot of interviews with Remedy people, and Microsoft insisted that the TV show segments were done by an LA-based writing and production team. So instead of having it be a seamless kind of um, kind of, uh, you know, interplay between the gameplay and the TV show, it was kind of just this weird TV show that starred a bunch of side characters that you would have to like, if you made decisions in the game, it would affect like certain scenes in the TV show. And yeah, there were like alternate scenes and stuff. But I feel that just meant that the game people had to keep talking to the production people to try and get it to fit. The ultimate thing that happens is one of the characters from the TV show shows up as a boss and you know, their motivations and how torn they are. And it's supposed to be this big, like emotional thing because you've been following this character. And now as the player, you have to like fight them. But the boss fight is, like, really generic and shitty, so, like, it just doesn't work. (laughs) 
It was directed by Sam Lake and Ben Katai was the TV show's director. Lake said, we really consciously wanted to take our learnings from the previous games and push the idea of what makes a good Remedy game forward. Take all the storytelling lessons from Alan Wake, take the cinematic action lessons from Max Payne and combine it all into one game, which they totally do with Control, which is cool. But they don't do it with this game, I don't think, quite as much. And uh, yeah, the one uh, Alan Wake connection here, by the way, the game being based in quantum physics was based in an Alan Wake TV show called quantum suicide apparently and uh yeah so they 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 improve a lot of things though with this game technically and i think that's what the important bridge over to control is like they realize what not to do with storytelling and then they innovate a ton with mo- with uh, their motion capture stuff with their um game physics their gameplay, the visual effects. Most importantly, co- facial animations, because that was yes. one of the biggest dumps on the Alan Wake series. Is Alan that they Wake just has did some not weird have moments. good facial animations. It had some weird moments where his wife was talking to him, but she had this like scrunchy mean face, but she's like not at all saying anything like that. It was like weird. There was weird disconnect there for sure. So they definitely, they definitely, it is a bridge to what control is, where they actually dial it all in truly and create this seamless thing. And they do the opposite of Quantum Break, where they're like, hey, instead of trying to separate the two more, like we did with Quantum Break from Alan Wake, let's actually integrate the cinematics more and and do go more in the direction of like how you see television shows when you walk by a TV and you can actually just stop and watch the show. You can find the pages lying around that give you the lore. And even when they did live action stuff, they found this interesting way to place it over the gameplay so you're literally running through areas where you see the live action things happening like in a weird um a weird holographic visual feel so i love control we know this but uh i also want to talk about control because it actually does very strongly pertain to alan wake especially with the dlc this game is written by sam lake along with josh stubbs it's directed by mikhail kasserinen who was the director of gameplay for Alan Wake, who left and worked on Max Payne and uh, Battlefront 4, I believe, and then came back to work on Quantum Break. But he really wanted to just make Control, apparently, the whole time. I mean, I'm sure he's saying that in hindsight. But he does feel like this is the greatest game he's ever made. He's very outspoken about that. It's fantastic. Weird side thing. Sam Lake's friend, who got him involved with Remedy in the first place, Petri Yarvaleto, Mm -hmm. uh, left... Remedy after Alan Wake and went on to work at the biggest Finnish games company of all time, Rovio Entertainment, the creators of Angry Birds. Ah, so like during do you if you remember like peak Angry Birds when every like the entire iOS store was just Angry Birds Space, Angry Birds Star Wars, Angry Birds Go, uh, Angry Birds the movie. Uh, It was fucking Alan Wake guy. (laughs) <laughs> was one of the head creatives there making that happen. Uh, he then actually spun off into his own company called Seriously Games, which makes, get this, a blatant uh, mobile free-to-play cash grab called Best Fiends that is just a match-three puzzle with a bunch of collectible unlocks. But yeah, it's very weird that the two shining lights of Finnish gaming are the Angry Birds guys and the fucking Max Payne guys. Another interesting thing about Control, it is completed in just three years, and it had a low budget for a AAA game with thirty million, which is interesting because they they they're they're probably their one of their biggest failures is Alan Wake, and it was this massively long development process, and then they're probably their greatest success with Control is is done 
in the fastest time they've ever made a game uh, like a big game like this. Well, they actually had an engine budget. They actually uh, they did already have that engine, though, which is fantastic. Uh, Oh, it should be noted that uh, the head uh, programmer of Alan Wake uh, has his own GDC talk where he basically says out loud, this is uh, Ollie Turvo. That if they had to do it all over again, they definitely would have just stuck with uh, Unreal Engine 3. <laughs> but they were too annoyed that uh, Epic hadn't shipped their own game with the engine on all three platforms yet. So they were like, fuck it, we'll start our own engine. And in the seven years it took Alan Wake to come out, Engine had produced, Epic had produced several Unreal 3 games of their own. <laughs> but they were already too far in. So to give Control its synopsis, it is an action-adventure third-person shooter, wouldn't you guess it? And it revolves around the Federal Bureau of Control, which is a secret U.S. government agency that is tasked with containing and studying phenomena that violate the laws of reality. Jesse Faden is the Bureau's new director who must explore the oldest house, which is the uh, FBC's headquarters, and defeat the Hiss, which have invaded and corrupted reality. There is essentially the fun of this game is that it takes paranormal stuff and makes it, like, bureaucratic and, and takes it to this very, very boring, plain-jane office environment. So you have all these, like, all these like possessed objects and these crazy, wild phenomenon. But when you read about these things, it's done in this very clinical fashion, this very office fashion, and that's where a lot of the humor comes from. And I love all of that stuff. I mean, the voice actor who played Alan Wake in the, you know, in the games uh, shows up as the first, as the uh, head scientist during Control. Uh Uh, Was it Dr. Casper? He's so good. He's so, such a great character. Matthew Peretta is amazing in Control and he's the voice of Alan Wake. There's tons of comedy and there's tons of, I think, a lot scarier, fun, you know, thrillery stuff as well more so than alan wake it's just got so much personality to it and the documents you pick up that teach you more about these things as well they're all they're they're full of redacted stuff so there's like black marks through and a lot of the comedy comes from like what they redacted from the document it's just a really smart thing through and through the the general look within the building they used for, for that they used brutalist architecture from the 50s with its overbearing blockiness as an inspiration, they use uh, especially the windowless building. I know this building, the windowless building in the center of New York City, known formerly as the AT&T Long Lines building. It's this terrifying dystopia <laughs> building. It's like perfect. Uh, and that is the way the whole thing looks. It is also inspired by the fictional SCP Foundation, which is an online thing. We'll I had do to an episode it. on it. We we'll definitely to. do an episode on it. And it, it's so interesting. I love the SCP Foundation. Uh, online project full of user-created stories of paranormal objects. All this lore was already in motion. Uh, Sam Lake, uh, in an interview with IGN, pretty much lays out that a ton of the ideas for Control were initially pitched as his idea for an Alan Wake sequel, Um, especially the idea of like taking all the mysterious woogity-woos of the dark presence and just kind of having a different angle where it turns out there's it's not a big mystery. It's a well-observed phenomenon, and there are people that study it and fight it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> the hiss, in the way that it is this trans-dimensional force that is, like, seeping into our world and possessing people is very much like the the Dark Presence and the Taken. But specifically, all the way back in 2012, 
in Alan Wake's American Nightmare, the hints of what control is going to be start like appearing in the ending credits song. A uh, old gods of Asgard track plays called Balance Slays the Demon. And towards the end of the song, there's some backwards speak like, you know, in old spooky heavy metal records. And the text is it will happen again in another town called Ordinary. Mm. And Ordinary is the main character and her brother's hometown where the instigating altered world event that, that sparks leads, the entire yeah, that leads Jesse to go to the FBC headquarters and search for her brother before she becomes like the head. There was an ARG that also had to do with the events of ordinary of the town of Ordinary that was released like around 2016. Like there's all this stuff that like Remedy had kind of been seeding and kind of mulling. And I think it was just pure economics at this point that like they thought a new IP would just be a better financial move than being like, it's an Alan Wake sequel. And the, the, they ch- had a different approach. One of the cool things, and I feel, I totally feel it in playing the game. They didn't want to start from a story premise like Alan Wake was. They didn't want to be so story focused initially. They started from the world and then they worked towards the story. They built that whole world and that whole reality of all these possessed objects and things like that and, and just what the office was like and everything. And then they, they, they found the story through all of that. And I think that that, again, was super interesting. Another thing, Alan Wake, if they didn't have that waypoint up in the top right, you would be, I think, super fucked. Like, they didn't have that dialed in either. Uh, essentially, how to naturally guide the, the, the player or, or at least allow them to discover the environments on their own and, and make their own path and... They nail it with control. So what they do is they give you a map and they give you a basic like this is what you need to do. And they, they force you to really explore and find it yourself. And that that and I, I, I read I don't have the quote exactly, but I totally agree with this because this happens to me so much in games. If the waypoint's there, I just get this tunnel vision and I'm just following the waypoint. But if the waypoint's not there and I have to just explore and find stuff. I'm actually paying attention to the environment that they've created. And I'm actually doing what I should be doing in, in a, any gameplay scenario, which is really appreciating the work that was put in to these environments and to these areas, which is just does not happen as much when you're, when you're just like, okay, there's the dot. I'm just going to follow the dot. They just kill it with that stuff. They also on the tech end controls, one of the first big games to support real time ray tracing this involves, uh, here's a bunch of tech speak that I don't understand, generating an image by tracing the path of light pixels in an image plane and simulating the effects of its encounters with virtual objects, which basically means it can produce a high degree of visual realism, which is super cool. My computer can't even handle it, so hopefully someday I'll get that graphics card that uh, I can fully appreciate control with. But all this to say, they built something in which they could bring what they did with Alan Wake into this game with references throughout the base game, as well as a DLC pack that directly addresses it. In the base game, Alan, the typewriter, the cabin, and the clicker, they're all referenced in the game. You know that these worlds are combined even in the base. There were two DLCs. The first one, the foundation, great. The second one, AWE. Uh, this, This second DLC, it's called AWE. That stands in the game world for altered world events, but also it could be Alan Wake event or experience. Uh, Jesse is summoned to investigate to the investigation sector by an uh, apparition of Alan Wake, where she finds it was closed off years ago. And there she learns of the Bright Falls, 
uh, Altered World event. And Jesse also learns of a Dr. Hartman that had been studying the events there and uh, ends up uh, there. And specifically, we haven't mentioned Cauldron Lake, but Cauldron Lake is sort of the center of the evil force that's creating all this chaos in the town. Based on real world uh, uh, spooky location Crater Lake, which is the deepest lake in America, uh, and it has a big spooky, it's from a collapsed volcano and has a weird island in the middle of it called Wizard's Island. And Hartman, however, gets too close to the evil forces and himself becomes a monster that Jesse must defeat that is trapped in this sector. The story leaves off with another possible event surrounding Bright Falls at some point in the future, but that's generally the connection. It's very cool. I mean, the game all but says, like, it's happening, boys. It's happening. Right, right, and uh, which is super cool. I will say about Control, it's not perfect. I think that especially, and I think Remedy battles with this in general with an issue, uh, as an issue, but the boss fights are, um, at times, can be a bit too challenging and frustrating, especially for casual players. Like, I even got to the point where I would play the game with, like, a podcast loaded up to my, on my left screen. And whenever I would get into a big boss encounter, an encounter I died a couple times in a row on, I would just be like, okay, it's podcast time. And I would just kind of zone out and knew that I was just going to be fighting said boss or said encounter for potentially several, for a long period of time. You can't. In my experience, it was like uh, the main game was like full on AAA. I am engaged. I am ready. And then like, as soon as there was a boss fight, it would be like us trying to beat Mega Man on my NES. I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to bash my head against. There's a bit of an annoying difficulty spike that if you're not like ready for that or, or super, super prepared for that, you might bounce off. I had a friend who I was sure was going to love that game and he ended up bouncing off because of the difficulty spike and you can't change the difficulty. And this is a game where I kind of wish you could change the difficulty because it does, it has less of a feeling of like, Oh, I definitely fucked up. I definitely know how I fucked up. I I will definitely improve for the next run. Sometimes it feels like shit just doesn't go your way, which gets really frustrating after a while. But either way, just know that going into it, if you were inspired to pick up control, that it it is it is quite a challenge. And hey, just turn it into a podcast game when you start dying too much. That's my advice from old Holdy Bear. But either way, uh, Jake, is that it? Did we do it? Our episode of Alan Wake. One one dumb fact that I was Please. enamored with that uh, we didn't get to. Was can you do that, it in a fin- uh, Can you do it as your finished character, Gyarnin? Uh Before Max Payne was released, the Remedy Entertainment took its old demo scene chops and spun off the company Future Mark, uh, which any PC nerd will know of their software, 3D Mark, PC Mark. Uh, anybody who just really got a new PC and wanted to see it do a cool cutscene to then get a score on how good your rig was, uh, should be familiar with it. And I think it's kind of funny that the greatest uh, relic of the demo scene is this uh, graphics card benchmark software. And it turns out it has a direct line to Remedies Entertainment. Beautiful. You may now consume your sardine bread. I have eaten three Nokia phones. <laughs> oh, my God. You got to go to the hospital. Well, I think we got to get into the hospital then. Thank you again, everybody, for joining us for this episode of Wizards of the Bruiser. If you'd like to support us f- further, check us out. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Holden, what happens if they support us on Patreon? Holy shit, Jake. It's a, it's a fuck. 
I don't know why I cursed that much just then. <laughs> but I will say it's a lot of fun. $5 a month, you get weekly bonus episodes. We talk about the stuff we're playing and watching. We do different segments. We've been doing the year that was and going through every year in the 2000s and talk about the media that came out during that year where we were. Just all sorts of different discussions. We recently talked about the history of our personal history with watching films from the horror genre and how that shaped us throughout the years. Different stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. And for $15, as we mentioned before, the Sunday Studies session it's a super cool group thus far i really am, am enjoying it and we just sit down and it's it's a hang it's just we 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 check out whatever we're studying that week and talk about it watch it play it listen to it and it's it's a really fun time so check us out on patreon.com also if you'd like to catch me on that twitch twitch.tv forward slash holden nature's ho Check me out. Uh, I'm streaming Monday, Tuesday, Friday nights. It's so cool to see you guys come in and say hello to me during those streams. So that's it. That's all I got. Jake! Follow me on Twitter at BestJakeYoung for all of my thoughts, plops, and drops. And uh, until next time, Holden, always remember, keep on the wheezing. And never stop a bruising. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application. The legends are true. With overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.